I'm Taylor. I'm Rachel. And, and we're, we're the, the Barclays. Today we are talking about Congress and the COVID relief bill. And, oh boy, it'll be a topic. Fortunately, I'm here with our resident Congress expert, Rachel Barkley. Rachel, can you tell us what the heck is going on? Well, first of all, expert is a little strong of a word. I worked there for five years in only one chamber, the House of Representatives. So I am not an expert, and I never worked in the Senate, so I'm really bad at talking about Senate stuff. Well, I was just a mere outsider in government affairs, just looking in through, peeking in through the window, as it were, <laughs> at the goings-on. And you were actually on the other side of the window. Sometimes you left me Post-it notes in my office. That's true. That's true. Uh, not related to business all the time. <laughs> Taylor. Okay. Well, talking about the COVID <laughs> relief bill. <laughs> all right. Back to business. <laughs> so as you may be paying attention, the House of Representatives passed a COVID relief package uh, last week. And... It was mostly a Democratic bill. There's only maybe four Republicans that voted for it, five. I can count them on one hand. It was it was a Democrat bill and a very partisan exercise. Uh, this bill framework was based on what President Joe Biden came forward with back when he was inaugurated, so back in January. Uh, the bill, the state of play is the bill is now... Um, a kind of new bill has been proposed in the Senate, and that bill is also $1.9 trillion of spending. It uh, is also, Republicans are calling it kind of a Democrat wish list. Uh, it has, similar to the House bill, it has abortion funding. It has what Republicans say is too much money that bails out cities and states that were spending irresponsibly before this, think Illinois and New York and kind of uh, uh, public employee pension bailouts, problems that were not COVID problems, problems those states already had. Um, and the big argument that Republicans are making in opposing this bill and opposing President Biden is that they're saying, hey, President Biden, when you came in in January, things were rougher than they are now. We're actually at the kind of precipice of hope now when it comes to COVID. The precipice of hope. That's wow. right. The precipice of hope. That's a movie title. <laughs> right off the tip of my tongue. Um, and, you know, Biden himself has said there would be vaccines for every American adult by the end of May. Uh, the economy has been on an upswing and doing much better. I mean, the stock market has pretty much rebounded. Coronavirus cases have plateaued um, at a high still, but much reduced right. level than they were, you know, around Christmas or Thanksgiving. Uh, so Republicans are saying, hey, you know, the spending does not need to be at the levels that, you know, we thought they did back in January. And in addition to hmm. that, I think President Romney, or President, <laughs> almost, <laughs> we wish he would have been president in 2012. A Freudian slip. Back in the good old days when it was a scandal to, uh, what, put the... They put this, the family dog on the roof of their car in the and kennel. Binders full of women or whatever. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Senator Romney, only senator. Uh, he had a piece in the Wall Street Journal saying that a third of the $1.9 trillion bill 
uh, will not be spent until the year 2022 or later. So how much of an emergency bill can it be if the hmm. third of the funding doesn't even start until That's 2022 or later? We don't get anything now? Uh, the two-thirds now. Oh, two-thirds. Third oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. That's how math works. <laughs> I like to say the main reason I moved to, to the D.C. area was to avoid math. <laughs> I guess it shows. <laughs> yeah. Hudson's in trouble between the two of us. It shows throughout the city, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, clearly everyone's bad at math around here. Um, so, yeah, I could go through a laundry list of things that Republicans don't think are good about this bill. Republicans would rather focus it on what is a true emergency now. Let's spend money on vaccine rollout and getting kids back into school and the true economic relief that's needed for small businesses and people who are out of work. Um, but they don't think that this bill does it. Hmm. So that's kind of the state of what the argument is in the bill. It is So it's in the Senate right now. It has not passed. The political right. situation we are in is that we are 50-50. In the Senate. In the Senate. Correct. We are exactly half and half Republican-Democrat, which means that the vice president of the United States comes in and does a tie-breaking vote. Mm -hmm. Since the vice president's a Democrat, that's 51 votes for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you may know that to pass a regular piece of legislation in the Senate, it actually isn't a 51 vote majority that passes mm -hmm. legislation. It's a 60 vote threshold. Uh, much <laughs> uh, to everyone's disappointment. Yes. The founders, what is your thing? <laughs> the founders set this up to move slowly through the Senate. Uh, it's not supposed to kind of uh, be a whiplash back and forth where big pieces of legislation can be passed at any time. It's supposed to be a slow, deliberative process. Mm. The 60-vote threshold uh, makes it bipartisan because there usually aren't 60 members of one party. Right. So it, it's kind of a cooling mechanism. Um, right. But there's an exception to the rule. What? <laughs> there's this crazy process that allows a 50 vote threshold on some bills, as long as they don't break certain rules uh, that they call bird rules. Yeah, okay. This is the bird rule. The bird rule. B-Y-R-D, bird? B-Y-R-D. Not the birds. <laughs> Not like birds flying in the air. No. Named for a former senator. Named for, yeah, former senator bird. So the queen or king of deciding what is birdable or not so whether it can be taken out with the bird rule is the senate parliamentarian one person not elected wow <laughs> who interprets what is or isn't allowed so the big kind of news this week is that the bird rule applied to a minimum wage provision that Democrats put in. So Democrats tried to get a minimum wage hike in this bill. Right. The Bird Rule took it out because it wasn't allowed under these special rules. These, uh, this process is called reconciliation. Right. Uh, Republicans have used it. Democrats have used it in the past, and they're using it again. And I remember some of the bills I would track for organizations I'd worked for in the past, and people would bring up the Bird Rule as a potential... Uh, thing that could happen it was uh, waiting for the parliamentarian to rule was sort of like the selection of the pope like what are they going to say what are they what's what's going to happen because it kind of goes in this mysterious land and then the parliamentarian comes out with their decision and everyone is excited or sad 
That's right. There's no white smoke, but no it's, white smoke. It's very exciting. If there's white smoke, something's gone terribly wrong. <laughs> okay, so now it's sitting with the Senate. There's no more $15 minimum wage, which we could talk about as a whole thing. I'm not a fan of minimum wage laws. Um, so what are we? What now? We just wait, and it probably won't pass the Senate, or some other watered down version will. Um, no, uh, we wait and see if they can get 50 Democrats plus the vice president to make it a 51 vote uh, passing bill. So can they get moderate Democrats like uh, Joe Manchin from right. uh, West Virginia, the king of the Senate now, can right. he, will he vote for it? Will moderates vote for this package? And if everything goes through the bird rule test, they call it actually a bird bath. Oh, brother. <laughs> yeah. If it goes through the bird bath and nothing's against the rules, then they can um, pass this bill. And then it becomes just a, a democratic exercise. Gotcha. And this is sort of an example of what's happening in Congress over these past, what, 10, 20 years. Big packages are sp uh, passed. Big bills are passed. Everyone's guilty of spending billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars, Democrats and Republicans. Show we, me the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was fascinating to watch. Um, if you look at you know, federal spending levels, uh, which Congress approves federal spending, sp federal spending levels over the last, say, 20 years, you just graph it out. I think the only time it went a blip <laughs> down was around the whole Tea Party brouhaha in... Just in the last 20 years, you know, you can look further back, obviously, but there was a, a bit of a dip when a bunch of people were making a big stink about how much we were spending, but then 2016 happens and like Republicans come into power and fiscal prudence goes out the window. Who cares about debts anymore? And actually that blip, it was attributed to John Boehner. He struck a deal with President Obama, the Budget Control Act. And so, so it wasn't the people BCA outside cats. in lawn chairs, I thought. I know. Everyone thought it was like Freedom Caucus Tea Party. But yeah, John Boehner negotiated that deal. Wow. Anyway, moving on. There's a new book coming out, which seems like it's amazing. So everyone is loving money. Debts don't matter anymore, no matter the party, which I've found fascinating and depressing. Uh Federal debt goes up and up. Uh, spending, like, why stop at $1.9 <laughs> at this rate? Why stop at $15 as a minimum wage, for that matter? It sort of, I think, betrays some sort of reasonable thinking. And people will say, oh, this is the sweet spot, for that matter. But why not make it 30 bucks? And why not make it $5? Let's hire more people who are maybe priced out at the $15 level. And we're just talking about minimum wage. But talking about federal spending, <laughs> back to that. Everyone's lost their minds. Right. Well, so uh, the incentives have been toward making these big packages in Congress. So this COVID relief bill. That's true. $1.9 has all sorts of extraneous things in it. It's huge. Nobody has time to read it. Actually, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin has said he's going to filibuster, kind of like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Or I think he's going to requ require it to be read out loud right. by the clerk. And Romney actually read back to that idea. So you yeah. can have two parts of the Republicans in the Senate for this idea. And you know, we should read the bills, I say. <laughs> Right, right. There's no one ever has time to read these huge bills that are put together 
um, kind of by the leadership of each party, uh, not the rank and file members. Right. And then it's kind of introduced and said, okay, now it's an emergency. We only have 10 days to pass this or whatever the deadline is. Right. Um, everybody needs to get on board with it and nobody has time to actually see what's in it. And sometimes there's a mad dash to for members who maybe have a particular bill that's narrowly focused on one topic to attach it to must-pass bills. So then all of a sudden there's this thing with all these other amendments, bill, former bills that became amendments attached to it, and that's often the only way things get passed in Congress these days. Rarely do just standalone tweaks get passed, I think because there's just an overwhelming amount of things Congress has to govern these days and political nature. See, I, I, I disagree that it's, oh, they just have so much on their list, it's just too hard to do. I think, you know, I hear lots of people make those arguments about how we need to do these process reforms and this and that. I think it's a political will problem largely. Um, I think the reason it happens that you can't pass small tweaks or individual bills is because uh, we now rely on these deadlines like a COVID emergency COVID relief bill or mm. end of the year spending package that this this bill has to pass or else the government will shut down if we don't fund the government. And so everyone sticks their stuff in that bill that you have to pass, as Taylor just said, must pass legislation. Mm -hmm. um, because there's an emergency, there's a deadline, they have to do it. Um, because otherwise, if there isn't that deadline, there isn't that emergency, it would take political will to either do something that might be unpopular to some people, but not other popular to others, or to strike a bipartisan deal on something. Um, the what it takes to pass a bill, right? Like think about the number of diverse representatives from diverse states and localities sure, that yeah. have to agree yeah. to vote on something, and the political will to compromise the compromise it would take to pass something just isn't there. And again, a lot of that's by design. We don't want a million laws out there willy-nilly, right? Governing no. laws govern our lives. Right. <laughs> so the part of this is by design that it is so hard to pass a bill. Um, but part of it is a political will problem, which gets to Taylor and my favorite political philosopher lately, Yuval Levin, yes. in his book, A Time to Build. I was wondering who you're going to say. We have so many things. <laughs> Yuval's point, which we appreciate, um, is that Congress has become less of an institution and more of a platform for individuals, if I'm getting that correct, Yeah. for people to tweet, to show up on cable news networks, to make book deals, and instead of a body for collaboration, to rely on the institutional rules, the norms, to deliberate and he says we need to get back and restore that institutional strength in order f to right the ship to fix the system so instead of the status quo of laws being passed and must must pass bills we can return to the days of bipartisan legislation and discrete bills that maybe fix a problem or uh, amend laws that are broken so uh it's a it's it's a nice thought and i think there's something true in it um i agree that the institution has become this platform and if you want to learn more look at yuval levin's book a time to build and 
to be clear, he actually expands that. He says Congress is the most egregious example of this That's true. institutional That's true. rot, but that it's spread to our churches, our other institutions, that no longer are our institutions character-forming. They right. are just these platforms. And I think you see that with the kind of celebrity pastor culture in recent Falls from Grace we've seen, whether that's yeah. you know the sad news about Robbie Zacharias and um, the horrible things going on there or yeah. other kind of celebrity pretty pastors um he talks about colleges universities as well so we could go into that forever but that's another podcast for another day indeed we should move to our media stinkers Stinkers. and thinkers (laughs) rachel what's your stinker this week okay my stinker is actually a movie that we watched together a documentary we watched together you're gonna be surprised that i'm calling this my stinker it was our date night movie last week, Some Kind of Heaven. That's your stinker? Wait for it. So <laughs> it's a documentary about the villages. I grew up right outside of the villages, and we actually used In Florida. To, in Florida. Uh, we actually, who doesn't know the villages is in Florida? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> what? Until we, yeah. I didn't wake up every morning thinking about the villages. <laughs> <Okay>. So... <laughs> We used to, in my hometown, go to the cool movie theater at the Villages. Even though it's a retirement community, they had really a really fancy movie theater. And they used to have like bands and dancing on the square. Anyway, so I was really curious about this growing up near the Villages, um, wanting to see what this documentary said. And for the record, it was beautifully done, like really well done documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, very entertaining. Uh, it was fun to see these images from my my old stomping grounds. Hmm. But I, it's a stinker because it made me really sad. They chose to tell stories in this retirement community of some people that had some sad circumstances, whether it was the death of a spouse or a spouse experiencing um, illness, mental, mental illness, illness yeah. or uh, this man that was this like kind of con artisty type of guy who was trying to find a rich villages woman to take him in and uh, seems to have led a pretty bad life uh, and living in a van now. So anyway, <laughs> they told all these stories that were just, they picked sad stories and I kind of refuse to believe everyone there was leaving. I, I do refuse to believe everyone there is leading kind of sad well that, that wasn't the point of the documentary it's it's to contrast the villages as this you know heaven on earth place They're like oh it's actually not you know look at these really unique characters sad because it's meant to contrast some kind of heaven right right i i get the point of it but it just <laughs> it actually was really well done and i it made me think a lot but uh it also it just left me sad and i don't, I don't yeah know. yeah i get that i get that yeah it, yeah Okay. Okay. Taylor, what was your stinker? My media stinker, along similar lines, is 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> because it is sad. It's people living, these just trying to make these relationships happen. You know, someone lives in a country and they get to know another person in another country and they develop a romance and then they have 90 days to get married and it's reality TV, supposedly. And they're fighting the whole time. And every every time we watch it, we started watching this in the hospital, actually. Uh, made ourselves feel better about our lives. Yeah, it did. Um, and it's just, 
it, it can be really sad at times because you, you just watch this slow motion train wreck and just just bail, guys. You don't have to endure the agony. It is sad. Which gets to my thinker, which is actually 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, while I am, it's my stinker and I feel bad about it, I also really enjoyed it. It was a bright spot in our hospital stay, specifically before the 90 days, the Angela and Michael storyline. <laughs> Angela from Hazelhurst, Georgia meets Michael Ride from- Ride or die, Angela. Ride or die, Angela meets uh, Michael from Lagos, Nigeria, and slow motion train wreck. What's your thinker? My thinker is a book I just finished called Good Apple by author Elizabeth mm. Passarella. I you did love that. I'm pr- pronouncing her name right. Yes. Taylor knows I loved it because I was like cracking up out loud in bed reading it, like laughing out loud. And I'd lean over. What are you laughing at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just so good. I might have been biased because the author was is uh, the contributing editor of Southern Living and... I am obsessed with Southern Living. I've always loved the magazine. I love it even more now. Um, So I was biased towards it to begin with. But the author is just so funny and she's so spot on. It's about um, her kind of memoir of a Southern evangelical living in the heart of New York City. And she is now a Democrat. So she kind of talks about this like what a twist blending of cultures of being kind of an outsider where she is, but an outsider back home. She talks about, you know, 90s kid youth group culture, which I particularly mm. enjoyed. I just uh, identified with so much of this as kind of a Southern evangelical expat living in a big city in the Northeast. Hmm. I don't know. Is DC the Northeast? It depends on who you ask. <laughs> you ask someone from the South and you say it's Southern, like, oh, no, no, they kick you. But then you ask someone from New York City and they say, oh, like, way down there. What are you talking about? Yep. yep. So, anyway, really good. Highly recommend it. That is my thinker. That's a good one. Well, this is fun talking about Congress, spending, TV shows, documentaries. It was fun, Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We'll see you next week. See you next week.